with sons and daughters saying, come on home, mm. because there's a warm welcome awaiting. Amen. 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 Thanks so much, Steve. Yo, is that a bit loud? <laughs> it? Is that better? Cool. I do tend to project, so I will get louder as we go, so just to pre-warn you. Uh, but can, can I just t- take a moment? You know, this feels like a family affair right here. You know, sometimes you get those family times where the uncles, the aunts, the distant cousins come out of the closet. Everyone just gathers together to celebrate certain moments. This is what this is. And if you aren't uh, a part of a church, you've never been to church before, this is what family truly looks like. You know, people who actually love each other, walk together. When we planted True Life Church, the heart of the church was to be a church that was real radical and relational. And a church that did family, did life together, built life together. We didn't just attend a Sunday service and then go live our lives the way we wanted, but we actually decided and longed to do life together every single day of our lives. And that's what we see happening today. And genuinely, I feel like, you know, Steve and Esther, to honor them, they are like a mother and father of True Life Church, and they have faithfully released us. Is there quite a bit of feedback on this? Is, is that okay? A little bit. <laughs> is they have faithfully served True Life Church behind the scenes. They, you know, laying their lives down for this church. So I want to honor them. True Life Church, can we give this couple and Bromham Church a round of applause for serving and laying their lives? Because it's so important, the culture of honor that we're building, because ultimately, you know, we... We do life together, not just when we're together. We do life for all eternity. And that's what we're trying to see here. So I'm going to jump into it today. And I'm only going to go for about 10, 15 minutes because... (laughs) (laughs) Hey, 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 guys. (laughs) Look at all these doubters and haters here. Hey, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, there's kids' work. I didn't know there was kids' work. Hey, kids. Go. <laughs> in Jesus' name. We love you, but we'd rather not have you. No, I'm just kidding. Bless you guys. I didn't realize there's a kid. This is great. Look at this. We need to do life together more. Um, but I'm going to jump into it. And you might have been invited here and thought, well, in the praise and worship, people lifting their hands, people singing out loud, you might be sitting there thinking, what has my friend or brother or whoever's getting baptized today done? Have they joined a cult? Like, what's going on? Why are these people so passionate? Is it like this weird people actually passionate about something on a Sunday evening? And you go asking the question, what's going on? And what you're going to see today is they have encountered a living God, a God who didn't just die and is dead in the grave, but a God who rose again and said, I want a relationship with you. And all the difference is, is that they've said yes to that invitation. And that same invitation is offered to every single person here tonight. It's an invitation that you have a choice to receive, reject, or you just accept it with the joy of the Lord. And I want to encourage you to accept that invitation because it's got your name on it. There is still room for you. Amen. So as your friends share, I want to encourage you to open your hearts, and if you put your faith in Christ tonight, I want to encourage you to come down and get in this water and be baptized yourself, because it's a declaration of what God can do in a life surrendered to Him. 
So, Jesus in Matthew 16, I'm just going to share, I might go off topic here just to warn you, but Matthew 16 verse 13, Jesus goes into Caesarea Philippi, an area in Israel, and he turns to his disciples, followers of Jesus, and he asks him this question, who do people say I am? And they reply, they say, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets, but what about you? Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, one of the disciples, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, for this was not given to you by man or flesh, but by the Father in heaven. And you might be sitting there tonight, and you might have heard a lot about Jesus, you might have heard or seen a lot about him, but actually, who do you say he is. Because that question is the most important question you need to answer in your life. There's no neutral ground to that question. You either believe he was a prophet, or he was, as C.S. Lewis said, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. There's no middle ground. The claims that he made did not give space for neutrality. The claims he made meant that there had to be a decision based on who he declared himself to be that we had to respond and say, either I believe it or I don't. But let's be honest, this man has changed history more than any other human being on this planet. Celebrities cannot get enough about him. He's been sung about more times than any other human figure in history. He's had more books written about him than any other personality in the world. He is the king, he is the Lord, and he's as hot as ever before. He is here, and he asks you that very same question, what about you? Not about your friend, not about the person that came to you, not looking left or looking right. What about you? What are you going to do with Jesus tonight? Most important question. Because you can know a lot about God, but have you met him? When you listen to these guys' stories, I've seen Mitch's story, and I, I, it's been an absolute privilege walking with him. But Mitch, I've seen him process and grow in this, in this revelation of who God is. And it's life-changing. But your life cannot be sustained by Mitch's story. It needs to be sustained by your story with Christ himself. And I ask you again, what about you? You see, the Bible says that the Father in heaven, the God that we serve, isn't just a distant God, a distant judge. He's actually a Father who wants to walk in intimacy and relationship with every single one of us. He didn't just die to get you a ticket to heaven so you can one day, you know, go and sit on the clouds and sing Kumbaya. He actually died so that you could have a vibrant relationship with Him on this planet, on this earth, every day. That you might think, oh, it's great, like this is such a nice atmosphere. When you wake up on a Monday morning, you can wake up and say, Father, here I am, what do you want to do today? That's the relationship he invites you into. Not a boring religion. Who's had enough of religion? <laughs> Come on. I remember, I, said, I think I was in a barber chair once, someone said, what, are you, what do you do? I said, I, I get to love people for a living. Partly. And also I get to rent and property. But, you know, I get to do both. But here's the thing, is you sit in there and genuinely that is 
what the privilege of this thing is, is we get to invite people to meet this Father that I'm talking about today. I'm not inviting you to a religion where your behavior determines you being accepted by God. I'm inviting you to a faith where your God came and made you accepted by dying for you in your place. Totally different. You're not trying to climb a ladder to get to this God. This God came down and broke the ladder when he died on the cross and put the nails in his hands and he said, I'm doing this for one reason and one reason alone, that I can take the place of my people so that they can be restored back to right relationship with my Father. And he offers that invitation tonight. You see, I always thought I didn't need him. I thought I was quite a good person. My family would disagree. (laughs) Why are you saying yeah? (laughs) Go back to South Africa. (laughs) If you don't know that you need God, this message will mean nothing for you. You'll be like, wow, I've got a good father. Why do I need a heavenly father? Well, the reason is you're not just needing a father. You need saving. Why? Because we're not just... We all think we're good people. You know why? Because we compare. I'm not Putin. Yeah. I'm not Stalin. I'm not, you know, I'm going down the Russia route. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. When you look at the person next to you, you feel better than yourself, about yourself. I'm not Eden. (laughs) Shame, it is like Jesus. (laughs) Kind of, yeah. Uh, I'm not, you, you, you find safety in comparison. Well, Jesus came and he took that away and he said there's one standard for all mankind that actually there's a moral standard across all human history that he said, you shall not lie. Anyone lied? If you have, if you're not saying yes, then you have just lied. You say, uh, Jesus said, you shall not murder. Anyone murdered? Oh, yeah, it's Britain. South Africa, normally the hands go up. Um, you say, you, you shall not murder. Jesus comes in and he, he puts the, the law on steroids. He says, actually, if you've even hated someone, you've committed murder in your heart. He said, you shall not commit adultery. Please don't put up your hand. <laughs> Jesus came and he said, if you've even lusted after someone in your heart, you've committed adultery with him in your heart. Any guilty ones? few nodded heads. You see, what Jesus was doing is he was removing all comparison and saying, you need to realize that every single one of us has fallen short of the standard he called us to. I'm not better than you. I am literally not better than you. I have fallen short more than most of you. The difference is Jesus said, you need to know your need before you reach out to call for help. You're not going to go to the doctor unless you know you're ill. And Jesus comes and he says, hey, here's the thing. Every one of us is ill. Look at the world around you. Let me ask you a question. Does it seem like something's wrong? Does it seem like there's injustice in the world, immorality? Does it seem like the war in Ukraine is not correct? It should not be happening. The loss of life, what is that? That's the law written on your heart. And Jesus comes and he says, you know what? None of us can fulfill it. What religion teaches you is you need to try and fulfill it in order to get to God. And if you behave well enough, then you'll be right with God. And he comes and he says, you can't do it. You can't climb this ladder to God. 
he's got to break it for you. I remember sitting with an imam, and he was teaching me about Islam, and he was saying, you know what, it's kind of like a scale. You get your good deeds, and you get your bad deeds. As long as your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds on the day that you die, that means you get into heaven. My question is, what happens if you've murdered someone? How many good deeds outweigh that? How many good deeds do you need to do to cover up if you've stolen something? I mean, who's the judge of this? How do, how do you have any certainty in your relationship with God? Couldn't answer. You know why? Because a man-made system like that makes logical sense, but the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is above that. It's not man-made, and he comes and he says, you cannot keep the scales. I'm going to blow the scales up, and I'm going to make you right with the Father, not by anything you've done, not by anything you can achieve, only by receiving a free gift of His grace. And grace is when God works in your life. Law is when you try and work and make yourself right with God. If you've grown up with religion, it's tiring. A lot of people in this country, and you might be one of them that I meet, they don't hate Jesus. They hate religion. A lot of people I meet, they, they, when I tell them, what Jesus don't you believe in? They tell me. I said, I don't even believe in that one. <laughs> That's not the God of this Bible. The God of this Bible is a God that I, how can you not fall in love with him? How can you not fall in love with a father who would send his son to take your place so that you could come in and be loved by him? Think about it. It's like, I showed this video about forgiveness where this guy's brother was murdered in the States and the judge and the, the, the brother's sitting there and he says, can I speak to the person who shot my brother? And the judge says, yes, and he's speaking to him and he says, look, I want you to know that I forgive you. I do not hold this against you. I let you go and I want you to know the love of Jesus. And he says, and, he, and tears coming down his eyes, he says, can I please give him a hug? Her a hug, sorry. And he goes along and he gives her a hug and you just see them weeping as he hugs the murderer of his brother. Crazy. That's called forgiveness. God doesn't just forgive you. God goes one step further. And just like that same picture, what happens is the judge says, actually, I've got a son and someone needs to pay the sentence for the loss of this life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my own son, the son that I've raised and loved and cherished my entire life, and I'm going to say, son, you need to go and serve the next 25 years in prison to pay the price so that this person can be set free and walk free from here, and I want you to take their place. Will you do it? Now, I don't know any human being on this planet that would do that. Not one. Even the Christian ones. You're going to go and serve the time of a murderer? How, how does that make sense? But that's exactly what the Father in heaven did for you. He didn't just leave you to pay the price. He paid the price and he brought you into his very house. And just like that image, what happens is the son pays the price and they, the judge says, you come and live in my house as my son. That's the God we serve. Come on. It's good news. It's good news. And there, was, um, there were two sons. 
and story in the Bible. And the youngest son said to his father, he said, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. And his father divided, he said, do you really want the inheritance now? Because in that culture, if you asked for the inheritance whilst your father was still living, it was as if you were saying, Dad, I wish you were dead so that I can get your money from you. I don't want you, I want what you have. And the father in his grace divides the property between them and the younger son gets together all he has and he sets off for a distant country. And there in that country, he squanders everything he's been given and wild living and all kinds of things. And what ends up happening is after a long time, he began to be in need because there's a severe famine throughout the whole country. And the Bible says he went and made himself a slave just so that he could put food in his stomach. But then he came to his senses and he said, how many of my father's servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. What I'll do is I'll get up and I'll go back to my father and I will say, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a slave and I will serve you the rest of your days. And so he gets up and can you imagine going through that speech, if you've ever been in trouble as a child and you know you've got to face your parents. I'll never forget my mother going to parents' evening, the one year, and it was a bad year, it was year nine. I'll never forget the phone call that came because she'd gone to see my teachers, who were all liars, by the way. (laughs) And she said, Dylan, are you at home? I said, yes. She said, you better stay there. You know those moments where you think, I should run. <laughs> and she gets back and she's like, I'll never forget, walks in the door. No, hello, you wonderful child, all of these things. None of that. She's like, you threw scissors in a fan and it nearly hit some of the other children. It's like, mom, it wasn't me. <laughs> it was me. But here's the thing. She's like, Mrs. Hansen is furious. <laughs> you know, goes crazy. But the whole way that I was waiting for her to come home, I was trying to get a speech to get me out of the trouble. And you know what's so amazing? Is this son has the same thing. He's like, I'm going to just, what I'm going to do is, I'm not even going to be called your son. I'm going to be like a slave. And you know what happens? He comes and when he's still a long way off, the Bible says his father saw him. And when his father saw him, you know what he did? He didn't shout judgment and say, stay away, make yourself right, get yourself together, and then come and be right with me. You know what the father did? He dropped everything, and he ran, and he ran, and he ran. In those days, a father would never run, because it would be seen as undignified to do that. But this father dropped everything when he saw his boy far away, and he said, I'm going to run to my son. And the Bible says he threw his arms around him and was filled with compassion. That word compassion means the inner intestines were moved with love for his boy. And it says he put his arms in, his son like steps back, Dad, Dad, I'm no longer worthy. And his father cuts him off. And he says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Can you imagine the servants thinking, why? Do you know what this clown's done? He said, put a ring on his finger 
sandals on his feet. Do you know sandals, barefootedness was for slaves, sandals was for sons. He said, I'm making this boy my son again. This has always been my son and it will never change. And they put them on and he said, quick, bring the best food you can bring. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they start having the biggest party ever. And then the older brother comes who's been doing everything right. And he says, this is not right. He becomes angry and refuses to go in. And he says, look, all these years I've been serving and slaving after you. And you never even gave me a goat. I mean, this back in the day. (laughs) And he says these words. He's like, you didn't give me anything. And I've been slaving for you. You know what the problem was? The older brother saw himself as a slave, not a son. Because for some of you tonight, and I'm bringing this so close, some of you are like the younger son who have gone and you've lived your life in all kinds of chaos, mess, and you have started to realize you are in need of a touch from God himself. There are only so many drugs you can take before you realize they don't give you the promise they so positively promised you initially. It's true. And at some point in your life, you will begin to be in need and you'll remember this story and say, actually, I need to come to my senses and it's time to get back to the Father that loves me. The Father who accepts me just as I am. But others of you are like the older brother. Where you are doing everything right, you think. You're quite moralistic. You think you're pretty good. But you need Jesus even more because you're self-righteous and think that you can do this by yourself. You need Jesus just as much as a younger son who ran away and lost everything. You need Jesus too. You see, the, level, the playing field is leveled. No one's better than anyone in this story. We all need Jesus. Come on. This is the truth. And my question to you tonight is, will you receive him into your heart? As you hear these stories and you see the story played out in ordinary people's lives, just like you, just like me, people who have said yes to Jesus, I'll ask you the question, what about you? What will you do with this Jesus? Come on. This is good news. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, and I'm on time. I'm on time. All the doubters in the house. <laughs> South Africans on time. That's called a miracle. <laughs> but I'm about to not be on time. <laughs> yes, yes, the thing is I remember a story and we're about to do a song whilst everyone gets changed and then we're going to get these guys in the water. And my challenge to you tonight, there will be an opportunity for you later to respond to Christ and give your life to Jesus. I encourage you, don't wait till it's too late. Now is the time. Now is the day. I I don't use fear, but let me tell you something. I've been with people, and then that weekend, they're not there anymore. Time is short, guys. And eternity is waiting for you. And all your thoughts about God that you have, I'll call you to lay them down, because the Bible says in Hebrews 12 too, that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That when Jesus had to go to the cross, he had a joy set before him. What was joyful about the cross? putting nails through your hands. Any joy in that? No. The joy set before him was you. The joy set before him was you. That's an incredible joy. 
The thing that when Jesus was on that cross, he said, put the nails in. I want Mike. I want Ellie. I want Luke. Put it in. Because there's a joy in he wanted relationship with you. How many parents in the room know what it's like when your son or your daughter just comes and wants to just be with you? Why is it the greatest things in life, the most joyful things are free? And yet we spend our lives chasing money, thinking that will give us happiness. And yet my little girl just coming and giving daddy a kiss is more than enough. Just a little hug. All the paychecks in the world can never replace that. And I don't know what your story is, but if you are chasing that, it's time to actually think and say, actually, I need to know this God you're talking about, Dylan. I need to encounter this living God. And I encourage you guys, it's the best thing. I don't even need to tell you about my story because there are going to be some great stories coming out now. But I wonder if, um, as we, we sing this next song, you'd really open your heart. And as your friends share, just allow God to speak to you and stop wasting time. Because He loves you and I love you. Genuinely. True Life Church was planted to love those that would never normally walk into a local church. And by the grace of God, we've seen that happen. And if some of the people getting baptized, we first generation Christians. That's the longing of our heart and desire of our heart. And we're going to see this world change because this message has the power to change this world. Amen. So I wonder if we can stand and we're going to sing a song. All those getting baptized or helping baptizing, the men, could you just go through that back door there? I'll take you to where you need to go. Ladies, you through there. Please, no one walk through those doors in this next bit.